Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. Many of you know I enjoy watching movies. <laughs> Not every movie is worth watching, of course. But good movies, they are social commentaries of our times because they ask us questions that in our busyness we, we often don't think about. So, for example, in my era, in my era, there was a movie entitled The Matrix. The Matrix. How many of you have watched that movie? Can you just raise your hands? Right. Okay, so many of you, we've just revealed our era. And in The Matrix... Among the other questions asked is this question is what's really real, isn't it? What's really real? Is this a dream? And then we are supposed to move into the real world called Zion. And, and those are the questions to ask, what is ultimate reality? That's the question the movie The Matrix asks. Or what about the, the cult classic Blade Runner? How many of you watch Blade Runner? Blade Runner. It's, it's more a kind of indie kind of thing and not that many people watch. But in Blade Runner... The serious question it brings before us is what makes a human a human? Because it's about killing off runaway clones, isn't it? So what makes a human a human? And these are important questions we ask ourselves. What about iRobot or Ex Machina, the more recent one? What questions does this pose to us? It asks the question, when does a machine become a human being, isn't it? And so these are the questions that are asked by these movies to us. Make us think deeper. I know what question you're asking now. Pastor, where is all this leading to? How does this start with this morning's message? So thank you for your patience. Allow me just to move just a bit closer. So in recent times, there are a spate of movies and there's a common theme that ties them together. So, so let me give you some of the titles. You tell me what you think the common theme that ties them together. Okay? So the movies, for example, Spider-Man, No Way Home. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Everything, everywhere, all at once. What's the common theme be between these, these movies? Anyone? The multiverse, exactly. The multiverse. As you can see, I, I watch very intellectual movies. <laughs> what is the question the multiverse brings before us? What's the question society is asking through the multiverse? And before we carry on, I invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads, as we come before the Lord and invite Him to speak to us. Come, come, let us pray. Father, it is so good this morning we can gather like this to hear from You. Thank You for the wonderful creativity You've given to mankind, that we can make these wonderful fantasy films so that we can ponder on the deeper questions of life. So often in our busyness, we rush from things to things, too hurried, to listen to what you are speaking to us. We pause this morning, quieten our souls, and rest before our loving Father. Would you speak, dear God, from your words and bring life to our souls? Focus us again on what truly matters, not on what is fantasy, but on the reality that you are coming soon. Help us to live in light of that truth. For we ask and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Good morning, welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. We are preaching through the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We've just finished the book of 1st Thessalonians. We're in the book of 2nd Thessalonians. The book of 2nd Thessalonians has three chapters. 
three chapters. First chapter has to do with persecution. Second chapter has to do with more questions concerning uh, the coming of Jesus. And the third chapter has to do with how then are we to live in light of Jesus coming back. So, very simple. We are on the first chapter which still has to do with persecution. So, the question is, Pastor, what has the multiverse got to do with what we we are dealing with now? So, what is the question that the multiverse brings onto the table for us? So this is my opinion, of course you can have yours, but this is what I think the multiverse brings to the table. The question that the multiverse is asking is this question, where do we find hope? Where do we find hope? Because all of us are looking for hope. Where do we find hope? Because in this world, there's no longer any hope. So I want to find my salvation, my life in another reality. So for example, in one particular movie, a mother wants to have children. But she cannot have children in this reality. But in an alternate reality, she has children and and she wants to be there. So for me, the multiverse represents our search for hope. How does this tie up with the text this morning? Absolutely ties up with this simple idea here that the Apostle Paul was also giving hope to the church that was undergoing persecution. That's why we've entitled this morning's message, Hope, not in the multiverse, but hope in God's justice. Hope in God's justice. What's happening down here? So you see, the the Thessalonian Christians, they're young Christians. Paul was ministering to them for a couple of months, but he was kicked out. And then when he found out that they were struggling under persecution, he he writes the first Thessalonians to them to encourage them. But after he gets that letter, he he realizes, oh no, the persecution hasn't gone away. So he writes a second letter to encourage them. What is this equivalent to? All of us have been sick before. When you're sick, what do you do? You go and see your GP, right? You go and see your GP and your GP treats you with medication, gives you a couple of days MC, and then you go home. Hopefully, you get well. But what if you do not get well? What do you do if you do not get well? You go to another GP. No, 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 that's, that's not the best thing to do. You should go back to the same GP. you say, why should I go back to the same GP? He gives the medicine not strong enough, you know. Actually, it's often not that the medicine is not strong enough. It's that maybe your body has developed uh, in a different way and you go back to the same doctor so he can continue to assess you and say, oh, is there progression or, or something else is happening? That's why you go back to the same GP. Here's my shout-out for my friends who are GPs, okay? Go back to the same GP so he can follow you up and, and prescribe uh, proper medicine and, and better medicine. And in, in that sense, what we have here is the Apostle Paul giving a second prescription a second prescription to the people who are still undergoing the same persecution, if not more intense persecution. So what is this prescription that Dr. Apostle Paul is giving them? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We read from verse 5 to verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 10. And we're not going to show you on the screen because we want you to read along in the text. This is what God's Word says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and from the glory of His might. Verse 10, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. (sighs) 
that sentence that I've just read, uh, it, it's actually very convoluted. And, and the reality is from verse 3 all the way to verse 10 in the Greek is one long sentence. That's why it is not easy to understand. Basically, what Paul is saying in verse 5 to verse 10 is two things. This persecution is here to stay. It will come. Hope in God's justice. That's the first thing he's saying. Secondly, he says, punishment will also come. Therefore, you must hope in God's justice. That's why this whole thing has to do with hoping in God's justice. How does it apply to us? So this morning is my prescription for us. From this text, two questions surface. Surface to you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ. What are the two questions? The first question is this. When persecution comes, when persecution comes, will you and I, will we be counted worthy? That's the first question. The second question is this. When the end comes, will we have saved any? First question, when persecution comes, will we be counted worthy? Second, when the end comes, would we have rescued any? Let's look at the first. When persecution comes, will we be counted worthy? If you look at verse 5, this is what it says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. It turns on this word evidence there. Because the question is, what is this evidence pointing to? Now, in this context, it can point to two things. It could point to either the suffering, so they're under persecution, they're suffering, so the evidence is your suffering, or it could refer to the way the Thessalonian Christians are bearing up to the suffering. They are persecuted, but they are very good. They are holding on to God. They are not giving up on the faith. It could refer to that. My own personal thinking, it refers more to the suffering. Why do you say that? If you look at the context on the screen, from verse 5 to verse 7, the word suffering or afflictions is used four times. And I think, therefore, the context refers more immediately to the sufferings. Now, if that is the case, this statement on plain reading seems to give us some problem. What do I mean by that? It means uh, that your suffering, uh, you're going through all this persecution, or suffering, uh, this is evidence of God's judgment on you. Uh. Say, what? Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying? The Apostle Paul is saying, oh, you're suffering because God is judging you. Uh. Is that what Paul is saying? It seems to be on plain reading of the text. Let me explain to you, that is not what the Apostle is saying here. The Apostle Paul is actually playing on the word judgment. What do I mean by that? You see, when I say the word judgment, most of the time we think of it in a negative connotation. So, for example, you judge me, uh, judgment. Uh. Oh, you're so judgmental just now. So, that is judgment used in a negative sense. But the word judgment can also be used in a positive sense. So, for example, in a particular situation, someone has made this. Oh, I think, I, I would say, oh, I trust just now when Pastor Ivan made a decision or Pastor Sharon made a decision, I trust in their judgment. That's positive, right? Or some of you here, you play games. How many of you play badminton? You want to play badminton? Some of you play badminton. Huh? So when you play the game of badminton and your opponent returns the shuttlecock to you and you, you think that, hey, this one is going to go out of court. Huh? You, you estimate. Huh? So you don't, you don't raise your hands because then it will be counted against you, right? So you wait and then it falls. Yes, it falls out of court. And then everybody shouts, good judgment, isn't it? So judgment can be used positively as well, not just negatively. In this context, I believe the Apostle Paul is playing on the word judgment. So what's happening down here? So here are the non-Christians. These are the people of Thessalonica. They look at the Christian church. These are the young believers. They are under persecution, they're under affliction. They say, yalla, you see, you're under persecution because you have left our gods. So our gods are judging you. 
So they're using it negatively, pointing to the Thessalonian Christians. The Apostle Paul said, yes, God is judging us. It's his righteous judgment. You know what God is saying? Our God is judging us as worthy to suffer for the kingdom. He's playing on that word. You see that? Our God is judging us as worthy of suffering for the kingdom. Now, some of you say, hey, is there something like this elsewhere in the New Testament? Totally. In the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, the apostles were preaching the gospel in the temple. They were arrested by the council. They were put in prison. They were bullied. They were shouted at. They were threatened. You cannot share the gospel. And, and they turned to the council and the high priest and says, is it right to obey God or to obey you? We will obey God. And then, having beaten them, they let them go free. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 5, Verse 41, on the screen now, Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. It's the same situation here. God counts them worthy to suffer dishonour for the sake of the gospel. How does this apply to us? Some of us here are parents. You have children. So let me ask you a question. When are you proud of your children? When are you proud of your children? When they've done well for their studies, done well for their sports, or in terms of character, they've done well. In terms of their character, your daughter comes home one day and says, Dad, I, I, found, I, found, this, I found a wallet on, on the way home from school. It, lots of money inside, $500 bills, probably from the mafia. But you know, it, it's, it's somewhere, you know, there. And you know, what do you do with it? Oh, I, I took it and... and, and I returned it to the MRT center station and then they found the person and the police arrested him. I'm just joking. And you're very happy. You're very happy. Why? Because your daughter, under temptation to take the money, did the right thing. With integrity and honesty, she returned the money. You're proud, isn't it? You're proud of, of your daughter because she was, not that she proved to be your daughter, but that she was worthy. Huh? She was worthy. And no, we are in a season right now in Singapore where I call it the graduation season. Graduation season, why? Because in all the social media, you see all the proud parents taking pictures with their children graduating, isn't it? And it's true, as parents, we are proud of our kids. Finally, finally they've graduated and we don't have to pay anymore. <laughs> they can start working. And, and, and truth be told, the, the children are proud also, isn't it? Proud in what sense? Proud not just that they work hard, but proud because they made their parents happy. They've graduated, isn't it? So it goes both ways. It's not just one way. It, it, it's that sense of, oh, yeah, we, we, we did it, we made it through. And it's a good kind of feeling. Why am I sharing that? I think this is the, the spirit in, 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 the, in these pages down here. You see, the, the people were undergoing persecution in Thessalonica. Not that God gives persecution to them. It's just part of the fallen nature of reality that people will persecute those who are different from them. And, and in that, they didn't give up. They hung on to the faith. I can imagine a scene in heaven where God looks down at the church and then he calls his angels, hey, come, 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 look, my kids, my kids. I, I think it works that way. We make God proud because we are, we've clung on to him. We've not forsaken him. We've not given up on him in the midst of difficult situations. And in that sense, God counts us as worthy. Not that we get salvation or like that we tonga, we, we endure, then we get salvation. No, no. But because we are able to do that, it demonstrates our loyalty to Jesus, our loyalty to God. When persecution comes, 
will you and I be counted worthy? Now let's look at what's the persecution these guys are undergoing. A lot of times when we think of persecution, we think, wow, imprisonment, ah, beating, ah, you know, killed, and all that kind of stuff. That is why it's called state-sponsored persecution. State-sponsored persecution is a tongue twister, trust me. It means, for, for example, the government used government funds, uh, used the government police, the soldiers, they will catch the Christians, put them in prison and, and do all sorts of things to them. What they are experiencing in Thessalonica is not state-sponsored persecution. That will happen about 10 years' time in the period of Nero, maybe 63, 64 AD. They are still about 50 plus AD. That will not happen yet. The kind of persecution they are facing is a social kind of persecution. What do I mean by that? See, when you want to make a living in those days, uh, you have to belong to some form of guild, G-U-I-L-D. It's equivalent to a trade union. Okay? So, for example, you have a shipmaker's guild. You have a tentmaker's guild. You have iron maker's guild. You've got different kind of guilds. And you need to be part of that guild, not just to learn the trade, but this provides for you uh, all the contacts, you know, all the business contacts. Oh, I know so and so, I know so and so. And it's very important. They have their own rules. They have their own regulations. More importantly, they have their own gods. So if you're in this guild, you, you've got to worship this god, you know, you've got to pay homage, you've got to do all that kind of stuff. So think along with me now, you've become a Christian, you recognize there's only one true God in this world, and you are still a tent maker, you're still an iron maker, you're still a shipbuilder, whatever it is. And then you can follow all the human rules to remain part of that guild, that trade union, you can. But when it comes to worship, mm-mm. You can't do that. You've got to distance yourself, you know. And then if you don't participate like this, which is whole part of what it means to be in that guild, you become paria. You become ostracized. And, and what happens? when you? It's not just you're ostracized. Your business opportunities, how to make money, it affects you. Not just that. The moment you can't make money, it affects not just you, it affects your family as well. So my friends, this is the pressure the Thessalonian Christians are undergoing, not the state-sponsored kind of persecution. It's a social pressure. In Singapore, we are grateful we don't have state-sponsored persecution. We pray it will not reach that place. But we are aware that in this world, there are state-sponsored persecution against Christians and we need to pray for them. What are the pressures that you and I face? It's a lot more subtle. A lot more subtle. It comes across in this way. You see, by and large, media is not friendly to Christians. Christians are painted as bigoted, loudmouthed, narrow-minded, self-righteous, holier-than-thou people, by and large, uh, you know, superstitious and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and with the same brush, now, I'm not disagreeing, some Christians should not behave that way, but unfortunately they do, and we are tarred with the same brush. So, by and large, Christianity has, has, has a kind of caricatured, negative kind of, 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 of picture. And so that is some form of pressure. Why? So let's say you are a young student, you are starting university, and you go to the hostel. You've got a place in the hostel. Yay, you've got a place in the hostel. First year you're there. And then, you know, hostel, in some hostel, not everyone, in some hostel, things can really go quite wild. You know, there are all sorts of fun activities, all sorts of stuff you're doing down there. And then as a believer, you want to be part of the fun, but you, you can't really participate. Why? Why? Because of your convictions of what you believe is righteous and true. You, you won't do these kind of things. And because you don't do that, people may not exactly cancel you, but you're not part of the in-group, see? Do you begin to feel the pressure? That's what 
It's happening. Or perhaps you're in a consulting line, you've got a big project, it's coming to a close, you know, you've been working on this the last six months, you've got two more weeks and then the project closes. Project closes, but as it's about to close and you're trying to figure out the data and the, you realize, oh, the numbers cannot match. Eh? The numbers cannot fit. You bring to your boss, your boss say, hey, you know how many men and women hours we spend on this project or not? How many millions of dollars if we win this project? You know, this is what we'll get, you know. Go and, go and massage the numbers. Lah. It can work. Lah. But you can't. You choose. It's, it's not the right thing to do because it's wrong. The project will fail. and It's a lie. You will face pressure. You will face that pressure to conform. Or perhaps you, 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 you see a, a colleague who, who is bullied, who is harassed by the boss in the office and all your other friends say, yeah, turn the other way. La. It's, it happens, the boss is like that one, turn the other way. La. You do like that, he sure hum-tum you and he sure he's, he's going to get you into trouble as well. But you know, as a Christian, you realise this is wrong. You, you, you stand up for your friend, you stand up for the, your colleague and then you come under collateral damage as well because now you come under fire. None of your business, but in standing up for what's righteous, you come under pressure as well. Friends, this is, this is the subtle ways you and I face pressures if we choose to follow Jesus Christ in Singapore and in the places around us. When persecution comes, will we be counted worthy? Will God look at us and say, you can? Because sometimes we, we worry, lah. can I take the pressure? Can I take the pressure? Don't have to worry. When the persecution comes, God will grant you the strength because it says no temptation has overcome you. God will provide the strength to do so. So, let me share with you a real story. This happened many, many years ago. As a matter of fact, in the year 1943. I don't think there are many of us who are here now. Born 1943. But this is the story about Bishop Leonard John Wilson. Bishop Leonard John Wilson was the Bishop of Singapore from the years 1941 to 1949. Eight years. Any historian among you here will say, oh, 1941 to 1949. Hmm, that's not a good period for Singapore. Why? Because in 1942 to 1945, those three years, Japanese occupation. And you're right. He was the Anglican bishop right during, right during the Japanese occupation. He did a lot to bless the people, to serve the people, to serve those who were incarcerated by raising funds for them, providing for them, until he himself was incarcerated in March 1943. In March 1943, he was interned in Changi, and then after a couple of months, he was seconded. He was pushed specifically out, interrogated, singled out for interrogation by the Japanese secret police, the Kempe Tai, in what is now the YMCA building. And this is the record of his torture by another pastor who was in prison with him that time. This is documented in the book, The History of Anglicanism, 1819 to the year 2019, the bicentenary of divine providence. And this is what the pastor wrote concerning Bishop Wilson's torture. He says, again, the next morning, the bishop was brought from the cell. This time, he's tied face upwards on the table with his head hanging over it. So imagine this is a table here, your head is here, your head is like that, your body is down here. For several hours, he remained in that position while relays of soldiers beat him systematically from the ankles to the thigh with a three-fold knotted rope. He fainted, was revived, and beating continued. He estimated that he must have received over 300 lashes. It was not long before he lost sense of the feelings, the blows had lost their power to hurt. 
so dead were the nerves in his body. Finally, he was taken down to the cells and thrown onto the floor. There was no skin left on the front of his legs from the thighs downwards. His flesh was raw and livid from the blows he had received, torn to shreds. Miraculously, and by God's mercy, he survived the torture. And in a post-war broadcast in the year 1946, the year after the Japanese surrendered, this is what Bishop Wilson spoke about in this broadcast himself. So this is his saying. He says, After my first beating, I was almost afraid to pray for courage because if I should, I, I, I have, may have another opportunity of exercising it. But my unspoken prayer was that, and without God's help, I doubt whether I should have come through. Long hours of ignoble pain was a severe test. In the middle of the torture, they asked me if I still believe in God. When by God's help, I said, I do, they asked me, why God did not save me? And by the help of His Holy Spirit, I said, God does save me. He does not save me by freeing me from pain or punishment. He saves me by giving me the Spirit to bear it. And when they asked Him why I did not curse them, I told them it was because I was a follower of Jesus Christ who taught us that we are all brothers. When persecution comes, will we be counted worthy to suffer for the King? Bishop Wilson was counted worthy. Listen to what he says. God does save me. He does not save me by freeing me from pain or punishment, but He saves me by giving me the Spirit to bear it. My friends, when persecution comes, we can hope in God's justice because look at what it says in verse 6 and 7. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When persecution comes, will you and I be counted worthy? That's the first question the text asks us. We move on to the second question today. When the end comes, when the end comes, would you and I have rescued any? Would you and I have rescued any? Let's look at what it says in verse 8 to 10, the last three verses. This is what God's Word says, in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying, friends, all history is moving to an end. All history is moving to an end when Jesus, when God will come again. There are no alternate universe for you and I to run away from. It will all come to pass. And what is this pass? You know, you and I barely out of the, the pandemic. We hit a war in Europe. We have disruption of nations like Sri Lanka. We, Look at the climate around us. It is, it's really bizarre, isn't it? The Arctic ice shelf has melted. It's melting. The sea levels are rising. We have places where they're supposed to have no floods. They are flooding. Supposed to have no droughts. They are in drought. And look, you know, we say there may not be a war in our immediate doorstep, but certainly there's a very potential for a war within our region, isn't it? Between Taiwan and China. Things are not getting better. Things are escalating. The signs are pointing us that Jesus is returning soon, exactly like what the text says. And you and I, we listen to this. What are we doing about this? You know, the end that will come, for you and I who are followers of Jesus, we praise God, there will be glory given to us. But this text focuses not just on the glory, it shows a very grim picture, a very, very 
painful picture. Look at what it says. It says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. The word suffer punishment, it comes from the Greek word, diken disusin, diken disusin. It means to pay a price of punishment or judgment. It's reminding us that all of us eventually pays a price. We will pay a price whether immediately or maybe in the future. So let me give by way of illustration. If after service today, you are going across to Vista Point for, for lunch, and then you see this big truck approaching on your right very quickly, and instead of letting it pass first, you choose to stand before the truck, you pay the price very quickly. Okay? Right there, you, know, you meet the maker very quickly. But there are some things that the price is not paid so quickly. For example, if you choose to be promiscuous, you catch HIV. You do not immediately die from AIDS, you know. It takes a couple of years before AIDS becomes full-blown from HIV. Or if you choose to smoke, you can choose to smoke, of course, and you do not immediately get lung cancer. You do not immediately get chronic pulmonary obstructive disease. But you continue down that line. You will pay a price. You will pay a price. Or if you choose to eat oyster omelette for supper every night, you may not die from chronic coronary artery disease immediately. But we will pay a price eventually. There is a price to every decision we make. There is a price to every decision we make. One day when you and I stand before God, and all of us will stand before God, there's no alternate universe to run to. That's the price we pay for not choosing God. You know, I want to share with you, the, at least in English, the, the seven most horrific words in the entire Bible. I want to share with you the seven most horrific words in the entire Bible, at least in the English Bible. The seven most horrific words in the entire Bible. You say, whoa, that's quite a statement. What are these words? Oh, eternal punishment, two words. Uh, punishment, uh, two, one word. Uh. What, what seven words are so horrific? Let me share with you what these seven words are. These seven words in the text are away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. These words, my friends, are the most horrific word in the entire scriptures. Why do you say that? Because in this world, in this world that you and I live in, there's so much evil. So I say, where God evil in Singapore? Evil is out there. La. There is tremendous evil all around. You think of this story locally. A father would sexually abuse the daughter while the mother is undergoing chemotherapy. What, what kind of evil... This is probably the tip of the iceberg, my friends. And this is in our nation. This is among us. Here. And, and this is the evil we, we face in this world. In the midst of this evil, God has not abandoned. God's presence is still in this world. You see, where is God's presence in this world? Well, He caused His sun to continue to shine, the rain to continue to fall, the crops to continue to grow, and then the air we breathe freely. This is God's grace multiplied freely on all of us. In the midst of the evil in this world, God is still present. He has not abandoned us. And it's already so bad. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a place or time where the presence of all goodness, all goodness is totally sucked away and the presence of God is no longer there? That's, my friend, to me, is the definition of hell. Yes, there's punishment there. Yes, there's destruction there. But what makes hell, hell is the absence of all goodness, which is the absence of God himself. 
These seven words are the most horrific words in the entire Bible. Away from the presence of the Lord. And that, my friends, is what hell is. That's an eternity awaiting those who choose not to follow God, who choose not to trust God. And hell is a choice. That's the sad thing. Hell is a choice people choose for themselves. What do you and I do as followers of Jesus Christ who have experienced the love of God? What, 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 what is God calling us to do? When the end comes, would you and I have rescued any? You know, I, I ended the first portion by sharing the story of Bishop Wilson. I'd like to share another true story. Another true story. But this person lives among us, or rather lived among us. Her name is Auntie Mary. This story is shared with permission. Two weeks ago, Covenant, uh, we, we lost an incredible member. Haven't gained a saint. Auntie Mary passed away. Auntie Mary passed away. She joined Woodland Centre in the year 2008 when we opened. So she's been here for 14 years in Woodland Centre. And when she first came, she joined Elder Hock Choi's small group. And then it multiplied to Raju's small group. And then she went on subsequently. As the group continued to grow and multiply, I think she was in Seong's group currently in the, in the new Hello group. And so in those periods, she was really blessing everyone. Here's the testimony of a covenanter who attended the wake, and it's used with permission, and the family allowed us to use this and to read this out for us. So this is what the covenanter said. Since last week, I had the privilege of attending the wake of Auntie Mary Leong. As I sat in the wake and listened to story after story of how wonderful Auntie Mary was, I was deeply moved. What stood out was a simple faith, a simple but incredibly deep faith. She had a simple faith and simple obedience. When she was over 60 years old, she decided to join IDT. How many of you less than 60 years old not join IDT? And her fellow IDT friends who were much younger than her would always be amazed how hard she studied and how she would get 100 marks, full marks on every test. Shame on all of us. But the common thread through all the eulogies given was how much she loved the people around her. She would go out of her way to love and to bless everyone. I believe that Auntie Mary's love was not just born out of the fact that she was a good person. I believe that Auntie Mary had deeply understood and experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus personally. That's why she can love others with God's love and forgiveness and wish for others to experience the same love. But here's, here's the part you need to hear. Auntie Mary did not have an easy life. You see, she single-handedly brought up three of her daughters when her husband left her when the kids were young. But she had no hint of bitterness about her life or the circumstances, choosing at every step to continue to love and to forgive. In fact, in fact, here's the incredible love of Auntie Mary. She chose to care for her estranged husband when he fell seriously ill and became bedridden about seven years ago. She took care of him for two full years before he passed on. She chose to take care of him simply because of her heart of love and forgiveness. And she wished that he would come to know the Lord like she did. And through living out this love and forgiveness, she lived out what God's love is truly like. And guess what? He came to know the Lord and was baptised before he passed on. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this person who abandoned you and your family in the last years of his sickness, you, you, you care, you love for him until he comes to know Jesus? 
It goes on to say, what kind of hope do we offer to the world? Auntie Mary had inspired me by offering the hope of love and forgiveness to everyone around her, not just through her words, but through the way she lived and through the way she loved and through the way she forgave. Friends, when you and I get to the end, will we have rescued any? Will we have brought any along with us? Some of you reading this story will say, where's the justice in this? Where's the justice in this? Here was someone who abandoned this woman and then now he comes back and, and, and you know, she loves him and brings him and, and not just that, cares for him and, and he, he comes to know God. He's in heaven now. Where's the justice in this? Do you know why we ask that question? You know why we ask that? We, we ask that question because this is how we think God works, you know. See, all, you imagine all the people in the world, all the people in the world, God looks at all the people in the world he says, ah, these people, they got some good in them. And I will call them to be Christians. And so we think like that, oh, God's thinking about me, you know, I got some good in me. And then the rest of the people in this world, uh, these are really bad, really rotten people. Uh, let them go to hell. Uh. We think uh, that's how God chooses, you know. We think that's how God chooses. And so we think we belong to this bunch. We look at our lives, ah, I think there's some goodness in me. That's why God chose me, you know. Actually, that's totally wrong. That's not in the scriptures. The Bible tells us all of us are undeserving. Absolutely undeserving. All of us. So in this story between Auntie Mary and the estranged husband, when you look at the situation, who do we identify with? All of us identify with Auntie Mary. When in the truth, all of us are undeserving. Like the husband. All of us are undeserving. Auntie Mary was the Christ figure to her husband so that he came to know Christ. See, my friends, when we say we hope in the justice of God, God gave us the justice. You know what it is? He loved us so much. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Why do we hope in God's justice? We hope in God's justice not just because He will make our wrongs right. He will. We hope in God's justice because He takes all our wrongs. And he put it on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be made right. And we hope in that justice because the justice of God, the wrath was poured out on his son. Let me say that again. It's very important. We hope in God's justice not just because he'll make everything right. He will make everything right. He'll make the wrongs in our life. He will make it right. But we hope in God's justice because of this. He took all our wrongs, all our wrongs, undeserving all our wrongs. And he placed it on his son so that you and I can be made right. My friends, that is the justice of God. That is the God we hope in because the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. That's why we can be called children of God. True justice is behaving exactly like Auntie Mary who forgave those who hurt her and loved him back into the kingdom. It is like Bishop Wilson who loved his torturers by refusing to curse them. Friends, this morning we can hope in God's justice because he will make all things beautiful in his time. God calls you and I to participate like him, to love those who are undeserving, so that they too may receive the hope. My friends, when persecution comes, will you and I be counted worthy? When the end comes, would you and I have rescued any? Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we... Stand here by your mercy this morning. Because of your justice, you poured your wrath onto your son instead of us. 
We are eternally grateful. That is the gospel. That is the great and good news. Father, we pray that you will help us truly experience that reality, that when persecution comes, we may be counted worthy. Let us to experience that reality too, Lord, that we may share the hope with those who have yet to receive that hope, that one day when we stand before you, many will stand with us as well. Men and women, I want to give an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord. Some of you listening online and some of you listening on site here, you do not know Jesus. So with all eyes closed, no one looking around, you do not know Jesus and you recognize that the end that is coming is horrendous, it is horrific because God is absent from all eternity. And you, you want to know this God, you want to receive true life from Him. With no one looking around, would you pray this prayer? Dear Jesus, I recognize I need help. I'm a sinner. I ask of your forgiveness in my life. I trust that Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sins. I receive him as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Make everything new. If you pray that prayer, after the service, there'll be a QR code. You can scan it. But those on site here, if anyone has prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd like to pray for you. If no one looking around except for those who are on duty, could you raise your right hand? If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, with no one looking around, could you just raise your right hand? That's right. Just raise your right hand. Thank you. And for the rest of us who are Christians here right now, I'd like to lead us in two prayers. The first prayer is to do with persecution. The second prayer is being used by God to reach out to others. So let me pray this, and if you feel this prayer represents your heart, would you pray along quietly in your heart as well? Dear Father, I confess I'm afraid of persecution. Strengthen me and empower me, Lord, that when persecution comes, I will be found worthy. I will be found worthy. If you pray that prayer, I'd like to pray for you. With no one looking around, would you just raise your right hand? Just raise your right hand and put it down. Just raise your right hand. That's right. Raise your right hand and put it down. Raise your right hand put it down. Thank you, Lord. You see all these hands. Father, you multiplied the strength and the grace and empowerment over these lives. Second prayer I'd like to pray is simply this. Heavenly Father, when I stand before you one day, I pray, Lord, there'll be many that have come into the kingdom along with me. Would you use me, Lord? Would you use me to bring many into the kingdom? Likewise, if you prayed that second prayer, I'd like to pray for you. Would you just raise your right hand and put it down? Just raise your right hand and put it down. That's right. Right hand and put it down. Again, Father, you see all these prayers lifted before you this morning. So we ask in Jesus' name, you multiply them so that when we stand before you, it will bring a smile to your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Shall we rise as we sing the song, Jesus, hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all.
Please be seated for a short moment as we think deeper about the message of hope shared this day. Whenever God's word is given, it calls forth for a response that it may ground us and grow us. So if you're prayed to receive Christ this, this day, to be your Lord and Savior, and to be a part of this faith community we encourage you to scan the response code or speak with a Christian or someone who has brought you now we would like to also have some reflection questions today's message calls for really that growth in us and so the questions are have you ever encountered persecution for your faith And what did you learn from the experience? A second question. An eternity separated from God is the worst thing that can happen to anyone. Who is someone you can pray for right now and to do something to love the person towards God? The strength will come from God. But it requires us to make a decisive action to do our small part and let God do the rest. Take a few moments. Don't let this moment pass.
And so church, finally, would you just stand with me now and open your hands and bow our hearts to receive the benediction taken from the two verses after verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians 1. Now may our God, our merciful Father, enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. That the name of our Lord Jesus will be honoured because of the way you live. And you will be honoured along with Him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, by whose name we all pray all this today. Receive with thanksgiving and pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect further on these words and do pray with each other. Have a blessed week ahead. We'll see you again next week. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.